Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello boys and girls, and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And tonight we bring you Doctor Who, the Crimson Horror. Braveheart Clara. We are going to the north. Sweetville, an ideal community for happy, prosperous workers. No one who ever goes to live there ever seems to come out. I suspect all is not quite as it seems. Time for a plan. You do seem to keep turning up like a bad penny, young man. The Crimson Aura. That's what they're calling it. My plans must be accelerated. Mrs. Gillifly, we've got to stop her. In the wrong hands, that venom could wipe out all life on this planet. I I don't remember being particularly impressed by this first time around. I was so looking forward to Diana Rigg being in... Uh, and a daughter, yes. Rachel Sterling. We're pretty I'm judging uh, this before seeing it after a number of years, but I, I think, to be fair... I'm a huge Avengers fan. There isn't a bad Diana Rigg episode of The Avengers. I like the Mrs. Bradley mysteries. There's lots and lots and lots of stuff that she's done. I was hugely looking forward to this. I remember being massively disappointed at the time. Even the Paternoster gang couldn't save it. I'm going into this really quite prejudiced. Neither of us. Having said that, we went into the God Complex both thinking it was really quite near and were both blown away by it. So... Fingers crossed. Yeah. I may have just had a bad day when I watched it. And I've not seen it since first transmission. So... I have, but I'm willing to give it another go. Yeah. Well, the randomizer has thrown it up. It has. Um, before we launch into it... We have... The tonic screwdriver. We do. Let's get the top off the gin. And today we have what I hope is going to be a bit of a treat, because I'm a big fan of Hotel Chocolat. And I'm a big fan of gin. Yes. So... The combination Hotel Chocolat Cocoa Gin, I'm hoping will be something a bit special. So, shall we? Right. Cheers. Skull. Motherfucking hell. Oh. That's special in entirely... That's revolting. God almighty, that's bad. Yeah, that's awful. That's worse than the tea gin. Mason's tea gin, I apologise for giving you a one. This I don't, is a zero. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure I can finish this. That's dreadful. This is truly horrible. And I love cocoa and I love gin. Put them together and what have you got? This horrible monster. That's dreadful. Yeah, that, that's really, really unpleasant. It may make a decent martini if you drown it with vermouth. Ugh. I wouldn't put money on it. That's really, really I can't not finish nice. that. No, I, I can't drink this. Uh, that, that's a zero, and we need another tonic screwdriver. I actually don't want to drink this. I don't. Right. I, oh, that's fucking so, dire. Actually, hit the pause button and I'll find another gin. Right, boys and girls, we're back. 
Um, we needed an antidote before we even start watching, which is a first for us. We are on tonight, Mason's Yorkshire Gin. Yes, because the Hotel Chocolat was so revolting. That was diet. It's the first one we've tipped away. It wasn't drinkable. It was horrible. Now, Mason's Yorkshire Tea Gin wasn't that was, good. That was terrible. This is Mason's Yorkshire Gin. Which is actually quite nice. Oh, no, it isn't. It's nice comparatively. This is a two from me. Oh, it's a three from yeah. me. I mean, it, the, it, it's nothing special, but it is a drinkable gin. I'll drink it because it's put in front of me after that terrible nightmare that has just been contaminating the glass before it. Uh, but I'm not blown away by this either. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go out. To, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't go out of my way to uh, to search this out. It's it's there. It's better than it, what was in it before. That I, I, I think it's a perfectly standard gin. Uh, that it doesn't do anything particularly special. It's not stand out in any way, which is why it's getting a three. What a night. Well, let's descend into the bowels of podcasting house. Are you coming s- with a Spaff? Yes. Oh, he is. He, he's, he's very excited. Spaff, open the door for me, please. So here we are again, surrounded by all the lost film that's ever existed. Simon, what's your choice for tonight? I think in honour of the fact that we're going to be watching something with the incomparable Diana Rigg, it would be very remiss not to bring back the missing episodes of The Avengers. Now, it predates her time on the series by a number of years, but the majority of the first series of The Avengers, where Patrick McNeve's character, John Steed, was paired with a doctor, Dr. Keel, played mm. by Ian Hendry. The vast majority of the episodes of the, the first series of The Avengers are missing. Uh, we're very fortunate that one of them was returned only a couple of years ago. Sadly, Tunnel of Fear is probably about the weakest episode in the entire first series, but it's still very nice to see another another uh, season one Avengers episode. And that's what I would like back from the Black Archive. Well, I'm going to go sort of with the theme. I'm going to go with the Doctor Who. I'm going to pull out Fury from the Deep. It's a six-part story from 1968 starring Patrick Troughton. Widely regarded as a fan classic, everybody wants to see Fury from the Deep returned. Um, I've heard the soundtrack. I've got, got the soundtrack upstairs. It's an interesting little romp. I wasn't blown away by it, if I'm honest, but it's such an iconically regarded series. And I know that... It, well, Victoria leaves in it, that's... Uh, I, I, I was more thinking, do you think it's something to do with the fact that it's the only completely missing six-parter? Um, I've never viewed it that way. I've always viewed it that it just sounds... In your head, if you listen to it, the soundtrack... We're fortunate. All, the soundtrack to every single Doctor Who exists. We're very, very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, and there are an, an awful lot of other series where that isn't the case. But actually, soundtracks are, uh, are found more commonly than full video. Mm. Did you know that um, I think four of the missing Mystery and Imagination soundtracks have been no, I didn't found know that, no. within the last few years, certainly since the DVD came out? I mean, considering how much you didn't enjoy the DVD, Fall of the House of Usher, when we watched that. <laughs> that was where you introduced me to the phrase, a hot mess. That um, was the... 
astounded you don't know that. What an appropriate phrase, I think. Because you know the concept. I do know the concept. I have been Absolutely on the receiving end of the concept, concept many times in my life. But yes, the uh, Fury from the Deep, not blown away by the soundtrack, but if you let your imagination wander off. And if you look at the sensor footage. Mm. Sensor footage just looks fantastic. And I know everybody goes on about that. The, the scene with Oak and Quill and in, uh, yeah. and in the bedroom and stuff. But the rest of the footage as well just looks wonderful. Well, there's a lot of 8 mil stuff that exists hmm. that they've married up with the soundtrack as best they can. And there's the alternate shots from episodes. Yes, there is. Which somebody has colorized recently on Twitter. Hmm. And it looks amazing. Yeah. So yeah, mine, mine is Doctor Who, Fury from the Deep, uh, which you will see fully animated and I am very much looking forward to. Cause but we'll be doing faceless ones before that. We now, will I, indeed. I'm actually more looking forward to faceless ones than I am for Fury from the Deep. I'm very much looking forward to both of them. But ben and Polly? Oh, it, it's a bit crap on Ben, ben and Polly actually because they're, they're there for about an episode One, and a half. two and a bit of a fragment of six. Yeah. No, it, it's just, I really like it as a story. I, and... Ben and Polly were leaving. It, it's an awful shame they are my favourite companion team. But actually, Pauline Collins' character, Sam, would have been a great companion. Very, very different to Victoria. If I'm honest, I listened to Faces Ones recently. It's time flight like it should have been done just 15 years earlier. God, was it only 15 years? Only 15 years. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? Jesus. If that had been made in the 1980s, what a story. Can you imagine Graham Williams doing time, uh, doing faceless ones? Well, it would have been John Nathan Turner, but... Uh... No, but what, I, I'm thinking of, of fitting it into a... What, Tom Baker's era? Yeah. Oh, my God. No, I can't. It would have been pratfalls and slapstick all the way. No, him, him running... Uh, early Williams. Oh, when it was still a hangover from... Yeah, so sort of uh, Fury from the Deep era. It would have been him... Running around, they uh, running around Heathrow, but the uh, the effects would have been there. Yes. Okay. Who would you have put in as Blade? But to be honest, the same cast. Actually, yeah. Should we hold this over until we actually do it? <laughs> if if you insist. We're actually segueing massively because neither of us particularly want to watch the Crimson Horror. We're going to, so press the button. I'm really hoping that the memory does not cheat. I hope so as well. Showing Ron VT, what could possibly go wrong? Doctor Who, The Crimson Horror. It was only if you're going to be Lancashire, it's Yorkshire all the way. Mrs. She is fantastic. Just waste it. Yeah. The Crimson Horror. That's what they call it. Eh? I have no interest in the deplorable excesses of the Penny Dreadful. Payment in advance, Mahoma. He's just shown in the the corpse. How can it be payment in advance? This stiff is my brother. Come up from London to bring him home. Oh, he just paid him to see his own brother inadvertently. I assume those are supposed to be gaslights. That's not what gaslights look like. Not in the slightest. The Paternoster. I do like the Paternoster. 
That is one of the spin-offs that Big Finish has done that I would actually be willing willing to buy. Yeah, there the problem is there are so many of them. Oh, this is the whole Look in the, the eyes eye and thing. you'll see the lighting at all. Spurf, are you impressed by how modern Silurians look? Well, I couldn't have put it better myself. I'm on the fence about this title sequence because they've. I like the title sequence. They, um, the theme tune is a bit near. I do like the way that they've got the Doctor's face in it. It's um, this, subtle. I mean, the theme tune is never going to be no. a bad thing. Oh, oh, it's a gators. I'd kind of forgotten that, but it does explain things. I do like the Paternoster oh, Gang. Are brilliant. Of the of the spin-offs that Big Finish have done, this has got the most potential. I've still not heard a single one, but I imagine it they've done very well. Such a shame that they were never able to do a spin-off, uh, do a crossover between the Paternoster Gang and Jago and Lightfoot, because that would have oh, been wonderful. Well, but Victoria, Victoriana. The devil's juggernaut. Well, she, I mean, oh, look at her. She's beautiful. Diana Rigg. Goodness me, how wonderful is she? They've stripped her of makeup. There's not an ounce, so there's not anything on her. I mean, Emma Peel is one of the most iconic characters from television. English, American, wherever. Any era. And she, she's she been great in other stuff as well. I see the Mrs. Bradley mistress. Yes. Complete with previous Doctor. Inspector Christmas was played by Peter Davison. It, It's kind of like the whole Cadbury thing, isn't it? Because the Cadbury, the original Cadbury factory in Bourneville had a village attached to it and it was a Quaker community. Yes, that's right, yeah. So, to this day, the area around um, the Cadbury factory has no pubs. Is that still true to that? Yep. I used to live in Bourneville, uh, about a couple of hundred yards from the, from the factory. And you could go to Sturchley or places like that and there'd be pubs, but nothing around the factory itself. Right, I didn't know that was still the case. Mm. I quite like Quakerism as a religion because it, you go along to church and you sit there in silence and think about things. So what else has she been in? Rachel Sterling, I don't know. Got a very familiar face though. Madame Vastra, you'll be so kind as to announce me, my good man. Who shall I say is calling? Yeah, the whole fainting thing thing gets really tedious. tedious. I mean, the the look of the new Silurians. 
Yeah, you're more of a fan than I am. I miss the third eye. I miss the voice. Oh, the voice, absolutely. Although it's the first time I've noticed, in the middle of a forehead, there are vents which could open up. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I think the 1970s one is the best. a massive improvement. Well, it's not an improvement, because it, it came before. I've got to say, the one thing I will say about this in its favour, mm. they've got the lack of makeup for the women and men, not badly wrong at all. And as always, the sets look fantastic. Yeah. And the parking flooring, the exposed brickwork. The massive scale of the Victorian um, restaurant. Yeah. The new manufacturers can do horrible things to a person. Clumsy and horrible. I mean... The- the nice thing about this is it's a Paternoster gang episode, pretty much to, ex- to the exclusion of everything else, even when the Doctor turns up. Well, eventually. I just realised the Doctor has not turned up yet, and we are over ten minutes in. Oh, it, it's an appalling um, Deus Ex Machina thing, that, uh, the kind of thing that I hate in fiction, that where the, the main char- character turns up about halfway through and does almost nothing. Mm. The BBC does do period drama terribly well. I mean, this isn't even the best example. Yeah, and ignore the fact that as a Doctor Who episode, as a um, science fiction episode, it's fairly terrible. Yeah, I I, I was going to say dull to this point, but yeah, terrible because yeah, dull is terrible. Um, It looks fantastic. It does look good, but it's not gripping. This was during a period of Doctor Who where uh, they were trying to make Monster of the Week. Each episode was a movie condensed into first five minutes. They never really worked. I mean, what, what would there have been around this? The Nightmare in Silver. Nightmare in Silver, which was an attempt to turn the Cybermen into the Borg. Hyde. Oh, I liked Hyde. Hyde was good. That worked. I mean, it's not a movie. It's, it, it's an an episode. Bounds of St. John. Name of the Doctor. Name of the Doctor's okay. Haven't seen it in a while. But now, Name of the Doctor was the end of the series. That was set, that was leading into Day of the Doctor and Time of the Doctor. The Doctor has turned up 14 minutes in and is bright red. Yeah. Unable to speak. And from rec- recollection does almost nothing for another fair while but we'll see and okay it's not that unusual a thing to in a science fiction novel to have your protagonist turn up part way through but in a in an ongoing series to have your main character turn up part way through and now they're just oh god how much does this look like carry on screaming yeah frame tonight they're dipping a load of bodies into a vat of red liquid. And again, it's one of the... It, it's kind of a season 11 thing where they've got really good actors acting their heart out... With shit script In a dire script. 
Because she's great. She is great. Rachel Sterling. Matt Smith is actually acting his heart out on in this. To his level best. He's chewing the scenery a bit, but he tends to chew. And most of the doctors at some point chew the scenery. This bit is actually quite nice. I mean, okay, it's, it's a complete Deus Ex Machina info dump, but the whole... Done in old film style. Yeah. Ooh, Tegan reference. Mrs. Winifred Gilliflower, an astonishing woman, prize-winning chemist and mechanical engineer. So why? Why she decided to open up a match factory in her old hometown? The flash through the, the the sepia photos and I keep turning up in canal the crimson aura. Ooh, good name. Do you know the old Romany superstition, Clara? That the eye of a dead person retains an image of the last thing it sees. Not yeah, this is a bit rubbish. Mm. I mean I could be very picky and talk about the chemical apparatus that they've got there, but bubbling test tubes? Yeah, I'm I must say, Matt Smith does an excellent Northern accent. He's done it a few times in a few episodes. Have you seen the Ruby in the Smoke? Yes. It is named in tribute to my partner. No, my silent partner. Mr. Sweet likes to keep himself to himself. Oh, look at the way that's... I have to say, that that's not so bad. Yeah, I mean... With that old film stock there. It's a season 11... So far, this is a... a chunk of season 11 stuff in that it looks great it's acted brilliantly it's written appallingly look at her acting her heart yeah. out she's doing brilliantly and he's doing mar- he's doing a marvellous job you see I've never thought Ma- I've always said this about Matt Smith he is the Colin Baker of the new era he is an excellent doctor. He's been given some shit stories. I think the same about Jodie Whittaker. Jodie Whittaker. I mean, she hasn't been given the opp- opportunity to prove herself that she's an excellent doctor. But I, I think she has the capability to be. How did he get through the locked door? I've got to give Matt Smith his juice. He's excellent as the Doctor. I, I loved him as the Doctor. Yeah, I agree. I mean, having said that, I don't think we've ever had a bad Doctor. Uh, Your thoughts about Whitaker aside? We've had good ones and less good ones, but nobody's been bad. Yeah. Whitaker is bottom of the pile so far. I don't think that's entirely to do with script because because Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi I suppose really David Tennant they were given some terrible scripts they still made a good hash of it but they were still given this, some good scripts and she hasn't been yet I'm willing to be proven wrong oh god this annoyed me so much Thomas Thomas for fuck's sake 
Ja. Tom Tom giving directions. Fucking hell. Yeah. That's CBBC level. It's the sort of thing that you might see in, I don't know, horrid histories or something mm. like that. So presumably the fact that Mrs. Gillyflower knew where to find her meant that she knew all about the monster in the first place. Yes. So it wasn't the fact that she kept her that was the problem. It's the fact that she let him escape. She is very good. She is very good. And she's doing a level best poor woman with a fairly awful script. But to be fair, she's always Matt Smith. That's kind of Attack of the Supermodels, isn't it? Too like Madame Vastra. The whole gang. The, the whole Paternoster gang. Yeah. Strax is fun. Jenny's a bit background, but because of her role, she's supposed to be. I mean, even with this, where she's supposed to be centre stage, Madame Vastra walks in and is immediately the one that you gravitate towards. Yeah. yeah. We're about half an hour in. It's first real appearance of Clara. Having said that, by this stage, there isn't a problem with a, a Doctor Light adventure, with not, a, not a companion all, light no. adventure. But they don't even commit to that properly. If it was the Paternoster gang sorting things out and de-reading the Doctor and Clara at the end of the episode, that would be a different thing. Mm. That would be... Midnight yes. or Blink or, or whatever where there was one of the characters or going back Kinder or mm. the, yes. the 60s episodes where there was a com- companion or a Doctor written out for an entire episode or two that's not what's happening here this is we want to info dump part way through and this is the way we're going to do it and we're going to crowbar the mm. Paternoster gang in it just doesn't work I do like Madame Vastra. I really should get hold of some of the big finish. To be fair, we should both do the Paternoster Gang. They're the only things that I really... Apart from the War Master, I got the first series of that and it was wonderful. Oh, Master of Callus. Yes. Oh, just, oh, that is... Third disc. I got about two-thirds of the way through it and just thought, what on earth is happening there? And then by the end of it, uh, when you saw the effect that had on the the fourth story, it was just yes. Oh my God, the, this is some of the best writing that big finishes yes, ever done. Indeed, yes. And the, the second War Master series is very good. Not it, heard it yet. It's not as good as Master of Callus, but Master of Callus is one of the best things that Big Finish has done. I, definitely one of the best Doctor Who related things that Big Finish has ever done. And again, it's like Jodie Whittaker. Give me the opportunity to, to actually have a sc- decent script to work with. 
he's there, she's yeah. there. It's a shame, really. We've got a really, really good cast here. It, it's a criminal waste of Diana Rigg's talent. Yeah. Uh, well, and to be fair, Rachel Sterling's talent. I don't know that I've ever seen her in anything. I mean, she's great. She's doing a great job. I can't remember if I've ever seen her in anything else, though. Sweet is always with us. You seem to have a very close relationship, you and your. Cross, older than I have, I didn't realise it. Exceedingly close. Who is? Rachel Sterling. Symbiotic, you might say. Oh. This is a terrible effect. I mean, we've seen worse. We have. I've just. Wikipedia has thrown up a, a snip out so that it was written specifically for. Rachel Sterling and her mother Diana Rigg. Well, perhaps having having got that caliber of acting talent, they should have found an equivalent caliber of writing talent, which is an awful thing to say because Mark Gattis does other fantastic stuff and has done other fantastic stuff, and I don't really understand why he feels the need to just phone the Doctor Who in these yeah, days. Yeah, because he's done brilliant other stuff he did Adventure in Space and Time didn't he he did yes yeah, which is superb and he did things like The Idiot's Lantern back in the the early days of the show which was fantastic young quiet dead yeah and then you get this and you get sentient eye gag sleep no more that was the one yeah um, but it's sentient eye gag it is the cinematography and the, the the way they focus on the on um, on facial close-ups is really good. This whole fight sequence, poker and the chair, it all focuses on the faces. And they've got really, really good actors doing it. I mean, Clara was never an, a real favourite, but... No, well, not in she, this. She's had nothing to do in this whatsoever. Nothing. But uh, overall, but having said that, Jenna Coleman is uh, it's very good at what she does. And have you seen Victoria? Yes. Yeah. I, I catch the occasional episode. See, it, it's all terribly dramatic, but I don't really understand why she's dragging Ada up the stairs. Because if she doesn't care about her and she doesn't need a hostage because she's locked the doctor and Clara. Why is she off the yeah. of the rocket? Yeah. Why, why doesn't she just leave her behind? Even if she runs off and releases people, then Mrs. Gilflower can get up the stairs and do what she needs to at the top. Whereas Ada is only slowing her down. That is true. And that's not a disabled, she's disabled, she's slowing you down. Anybody that you're dragging along with you slows you down from just running by yourself. Die! Die! And again, this whole ending 
How did Strax get suddenly from the top of the building down to the bottom of the building? That's a fairly good question, yes. Um, and okay, he could have jumped down and ended up at the bottom, but how did he get no. from the top of the building to on that particular bit of the staircase? Yeah, and that that whole that's my girl bit was unnecessary. Yeah, it was. What will you do with that thing? Take it back to the Jurassic era, maybe. Whereas this bit I quite like. Um, just because you couldn't expect you couldn't expect the Doctor or Clara to do that. She has a very good arch expression. Yes, I agree. I mean, it looks fantastic. That that burn makeup is is brilliant. The, the settings, the costumes. He just had very odd eyebrows. Or almost eyebrows. What, well, Matt Smith? Yes. And again, the whole fainting thing, which isn't necessary. Oh, now what's all this? It's a very, very good example of why you should never let children loose on your computer. Yes, exactly. Well, that was uh, The Crimson Horror. And it was a horror. It was awful. I, regrettably, was so overstimulated by the end credits that I fell asleep. I didn't really enjoy that at all, I'm afraid. No, it was a, a terrible waste of uh, an excellent cast. It looked pretty. Yeah, it's about the best you can say about it. But the BBC does period drama very well. In terms of monstery special effect things, then all they did was spray paint a few people red. Although there was the little... Um, the little grivet thing, whatever yeah. it is. Mr. Sweet. Which was... Oh, I just didn't enjoy it. It was it was a bit... It was silly. It was small and puppety. Have we seen any other puppet aliens in New Who? I mean, obviously we had things like Time Lash in the classic series. But... Um, not unless you count in that um, ridiculous thing from the Saranga conundrum that was wandering around 
It wasn't really a puppet, though. It was just a, a tiny little silly monster. Yeah. No, they, this very definitely looked puppet. That was a puppet, um, yes. I mean, they, the best effect of the, the lot was uh, the makeup in the Paternoster Gang. I, I like the Paternoster Gang. Oh, the Paternoster um, Gang, brilliant, yes. It was much more a Paternoster Gang story than a, a Doctor Who story. Uh, the Doctor had turned up about halfway through. Clara only really appears right at the tail end. Mm. I'd really like to not have a downer. That, that's one episode I can happily never see again. And it, it's a terrible shame that Mark Gettys's more recent episodes have generally been pretty poor. Because there was this, there was the sentient eye gag. And you compare those to, to things like The Idiot's Lantern, which is a fantastic story. Mm. Well, I've just re-listened to Phantasmagoria, which was um, one of his big finish stories. It was brilliant. And it was a very early Big Finish, wasn't it? It was, it was, second, it was second the second third. release, yeah. yeah. But I, that was I don't kind like of the s- one that sold Big Finish to me, because I, I really didn't like Sirens of Time. You mentioned it occasionally. Yeah, I, yeah, don't and like I know that you do. Well, I don't like silly Doctor Who, and that was silly. It was just unbelievable. It's not... It can it can be done well. I mean, look, look at the Romans. And that that's silly and that's run about, but... Yeah, but the Romans, Nero was a... Well, it is viewed by history as a silly character. That was the character. Everyone around him is quite sensible and and sort of humouring him. They're not... But, I mean, the Romans, the season two episode, there's all that farcy running up and down corridors and just missing each other. It's quite silly. It is silly, but... Uh, And it works. So, silly Doctor Who can work. The other side of the coin you get something like Love and Monsters, where it's just... Smart. And Peter Kay being Peter Kay. PCK really is one size fits all. Yeah. Uh, well, we, if the randomizer ever lands on Love of Monsters, I will talk a lot about how much I hate it as a story. You won't be on your own. And but back to back to the Crimson Horror. Yeah, it was just a, a terrible waste. Not as big a waste as the the following episode because Nightmare in Silver comes after that. And uh, oh, you got people like Warwick Davis in that. And but it's trying to turn the Cybermen into the Borg. It's the mm. same thing as. Um, Resolution, where you've got the the Dalek wandering about outside its casing, taking over somebody's brain and, and all of that. And if Daleks were able to do that, why have they taken 50-odd years to do it? Uh, in the same way as the Cybermen were, were able to um, infect people by nanovirus. Yeah. Why haven't they done it before? And I, I was really, really looking forward to Nightmare in Silver because Neil Gaiman's work is... I loved it since I first read Sandman. Mm. The Doctor's Wife was brilliant. It was. That was one of my favourite episodes. Um, and I was expecting to, to have the same level of quality as that. Or an episode from Babylon 5. His Babylon 5 episode I is one. I watched it. It's very good. You'd probably enjoy mm. it. 25th anniversary this year. Crikey, it's been that long. Yeah. So... We keep segueing back from the, the the Crimson Horror, mainly because there's nothing particularly interesting to say about the Crimson Horror other than it's a bit shit, and it's a shame that we didn't have Diana Rigg in a good story. Yeah. And I'm not sure there's anything more to say about it. I think we've exhausted it, so time for Miss Van App to come out. So it is. I am Persian. Name your price. Now, I'm trying to get a handle on this, because you said it's trying to look like a woman rather than flouncy clothes. Well, all the women in this are dressed very sensibly for the period, so I would guess it's quite low. I'm going to go with about a two, because not only that, it's apart from Ada, is it, the daughter? Yeah. All of them are dressed in widow's weeds, and they look like they're 
just stepped out of a Sally Ann meeting. Mm. I will so again defer to your judgment. I'm happy with the two. I'll go to and I'm mainly going to because there is some excellent resting bitch face. I shall go to the console and hit the randomizer. School reunion. That will be the next port of call. We are breaking into this podcast from another recording session. That was all getting a little bit depressing and miserable, and we weren't enjoying that. So we thought. Hello from the future. Hello from the future, indeed. So we thought that we would break into it with something upbeat and jolly, and frankly, more deserving of Diana Rigg. Simon, what have we got? Well, we ignore Game of Thrones because it was shite. But when you think Diana Rigg, you think the Avengers. She was in two seasons of The Avengers, uh, Black and White and The Colour, and we've already done an episode on the Black and White, and we kind of enjoyed it. So we are going to do another episode of Black and White Diana Rigg Avengers. We are going to do the episode A Touch of Brimstone. So far, our plan of anarchy is taking effect. We have successfully embarrassed the government, caused a great deal of unrest within it, and what is more important, upset negotiations. So far, so good. The time has come for something much more important. A coup. So outrageous that the whole country will be up in arms. It is simple, direct, and deadly. Now, Ken, are you aware of this episode? Have you possibly seen any pictures from it? Well, I have actually watched the episode in preparation for this. And because uh, we, in the midst of time, I seem to remember we did watch it on a very rainy, stormy night, and you were making delicious violet cocktails from what I can remember, although the memory may cheat on this. And I do make violet cocktails quite often because I do rather enjoy violet cocktails. A proper violet gin martini is a wonder to behold, even if you can't behold much afterwards. Yes, with creme de violette. Oh, my. Yeah, they are the best thing you've ever made. But this particular one, what is the premise? So, for people that don't know, The Avengers was a British, very tongue-in-cheek by the time Diana Rigg came along, TV spy drama from the 1960s. It's kind of so 60s it hurts. The main character, John Steed, is a secret agent who has a number of assistants throughout the series, Diana Rigg playing the character of Mrs. Emma Peel was one of the best known and best remembered. And season four was their first season together. It was the last black and white season of the Avengers. It was the thing that really broke America for the Avengers. But it's it was still while it was terribly English. Oh, yeah. And so the the episode starts off with somebody watching telly and choosing his wine and choosing his boxer. Did boxers do chocolates? A box of chocolates look, with a cocktail skewer. But did they really used to look like I me? Mean, I know you see them in films in heart-shaped packages and all that sort of thing, but I always just assumed that was a load of bollocks. For the no, film. that was real. Yeah, I seem to remember really? Thornton's used to do one. Yeah, it was quite real. Oh, okay. I mean, <clears throat> did Thornton's not do it as a sort of hanker back to a to an imagined past 
Because I, re- I remember my unpleasant Welsh sort of cousin who used to run a sweet shop in Bishop's Castle. And you went in there and it was like ste- stepping back about a million years. And she had all of these decorations and things dating back to the 50s and 60s. And they were boxes of chocolates that looked like boxes of chocolates. It wasn't flouncy hearts and ribbons and things. Well, if they so, were a made-up thing, they were in an awful lot of TV and film in the 60s. Because I've yeah. seen quite a few. Yeah, so have I. And I, <clears throat> I just wasn't sure they're a real thing or not. And wh- whether they're a real thing or not, Blokey in the chair is eating some of them. Played by Peter Wingard. Who is watching uh, tele footage of a foreign dignitary who is presented with a cigar which blows up in his face. And there have been a number of these pranks that have been perpetrated on people from foreign governments or whatever that have been wrecking the sort of international spirit of bonhomie. And so it's a tiny minority in Britain who is fucking things over for the uh, for everybody else. Stop it. Stop it. Doing mindless shite. Does that remind you of anything? I'm going to start playing Is- Deutschland Uber Alice if you carry on. That's how this feels whenever you get on one of these rants. Tomorrow belongs to me, I think would be more appropriate. <laughs> but having seen that episode of Spitting Image recently... <laughs> So anyway, so, have, so the, the next of the of these pranks is that somebody who is uh, cutting a, a ribbon on uh, it's some sort of international detente thing, rather than jokey rubber scissors being used, real scissors are used, and the ribbon is electrified, which kills the blokey cutting the ribbon. TV audience blokey is Peter Wingard playing a character called Cartney, who is wildly entertained by all of this. And Colin Jeevans plays a character called Lord Darcy. He was horrified. They were all like supposed to be harmless pranks. And it's Colin Jeevans playing an idiot in the way that only Colin Jeevans can mm. play an idiot. Steve gets him pissed, which is an incredibly entertaining scene. Um, <laughs> and finds out that the organisation behind this is the Hellfire Club, which is a sort of reproduction of the original run by, I, I, I can't remember who. Francis Francis um, Dashwood, yes. And so trying to recreate the ultimate sins of the original Hellfire Club. And then Darcy demands to meet with the um, the people who are in charge and rants about the fact that he, he never agreed to to join him with murder. Um, and they say, just just stand on this little spot, old chap, pull a lever, and he, he drops down into some fiery pit of death through a trapdoor. In the meantime, Mrs. Peel has made contact with Cartney and he's become quite besotted. And Understandably. I was going to say, look at Diana Rigg, and that's not a huge surprise. Mm. And so he invites her along to this Hellfire Club thing. Steed tries to join and is told that he has to do a couple of membership tests. So they, they get him drunk and he's obviously a seasoned old soak because that isn't too much of a problem. And then he has to move a pea out of the way as an axe is descending. And he looks over at somebody else who's tried it and he's got a couple of metal fingers. So it's fairly obvious that the plan is to lose digits. But what he does is he just blows the pea out of the way, which Cartley thinks is marvellous, welcomes him into the club. And he overhears that there's going to be a plot to destabilise the, the country. So he goes along to the next party of the Hellfire Club, not realising that um, Emma Peel is going to be there as well. And she is brought on as the Queen of Sin, complete with Basque and knee-high boots and (laughs) a a, a spiked collar. 
in an outfit she designed herself. And basically, when we talk about Drag Queen of the Week with uh, with Doctor Who, and I talk to you about resting bitch face, and you never understand what I'm talking about, think back to the way that she looks down at these Hellfire Club fanboys. Not resting bitch face, I get. It's the whole... Complete derision. That is resting bitch face. Well, that is Emma Peel's default setting. It's marvellous. She does that steed all the time. Well, yes, but that's because she's massively steed superior. (laughs) Um, In the 1960s, if she'd been born with a pair of bollocks, Emma Peel would be running the country and it would run perfectly and nobody would argue. She is everybody's superior. Agreed. Yes. So the only reason that Steed is here and nominally in charge is because he's the bloke. Um, agreed, yes, because there's well, at least one episode where she copes perfectly well on her own. A couple of episodes. We'll do the colour one at some point, which is marvellous. Where have we got to? They're at the party. Um, Emma is brought forward as the Queen of Sin. Peter Wingard's character, Cartney, says, let the wenching commence, at which point they go and watch a boxing match. This isn't my area of expertise, but that I don't think that's what wenching involves. <clears throat> no. Um, and frankly, if you look at Emma Peel in that outfit and think about going and watching a boxing match, that probably is more my area of expertise. <laughs> frankly, if, <laughs> if you're away if you, from men in you, shiny tights. If your gender isn't up looking at that, you probably ain't interested in, in, in women that much. Moving on. Big fights ensue. Um, Seed has a fencing match. They get to realise that Cartney is aiming for a sort of kind of recreation of Guy Fawkes by blowing up a house that has foreign dignitaries staying there. Big fight ends up between Steed and Cartney. Uh, Cartney armed with a whip. And it, it happens down in the basement where there's the trap door. Cartney, while he's standing on top of the trap door, which is tactically an unbelievably dumb move, misses, uh, <laughs> misses Steed with the whip, but happens to hit the lever that opens the trap door, drops to the whatever death thing awaits at the bottom of the pit. And then they drive off into the distance the end. Yeah. I don't know whether that's typical of all Avengers episodes, but certainly the ones we've seen from season four. Oh, it was a thing about season four. Every episode had Steed and Emma disappearing off into the distance in a different form of transport. So a motorbike and sidecar or open top carriage or hay car, all something slightly unusual. I enjoyed it. I'm coming fairly fresh to the Avengers. I've seen the odd one or two over the years, certainly over the past 18 months with you. Diana Rigg is just absolutely superb. The problem is now that I've been so spoiled with Diana Rigg, I can't really see anyone else filling that second lead role quite as well as her. The thing about the Avengers, and I know we haven't done it yet, is that when you start to season one, season two, season three, you almost regard have to regard those as a separate TV series. Because when Honor Blackman left and... Diana Riggs started, there was a massive change in direction. The scripts became an awful lot lighter and more frivolous prior to um, Diana Rigg joining. It had largely been fairly run-of-the-mill spy dramas. Okay, 
there were a few episodes that were more lighthearted. There's there's a wonderful one called To Build a Better Mousetrap with Amy Delamain and Honor Blackman joining a biking gang. And it's just superb and kind of fits more into the, the season four thing. But for the most part, it's fairly standard spy stuff. It is, but it's... How much of the season one, two and three have you seen? Which was the one we saw with Warren Mitchell? That was a season three, but it was quite a tongue-in-cheek season three. It was almost at the end of season three. And by the time you're getting to the very end of Honor Blackman's run, you are starting to get these more fantastical storylines. So that one about the, the charm school that is producing assassins. There's one about a fancy dress party on a train and the guests are being bumped off in various different ways which would be a great one to do at some point because it has annika wills as a guest star oh but you've mentioned the annika wills one yes that uh, well actually annika wills was in two episodes of the avengers but that's the one where she has the bigger role this one so, had diana rig in a basque it works for me it's got everything i need we could have cut just to that scene and i'd have been happy that is one beautiful, beautiful woman. I know I say that about quite a lot of actresses we watch, but Diana Rigg has stood out as she's above Sharon McCready. Well, yeah. Intellectually, I can I can absolutely see the appeal, and I can see how much of it is personality as much as appearance. Oh, it's both. It, it's yeah. yeah, it's definitely both. I love the character. I just think that the way she plays it. I mean, bear in mind how many things Diana Rigg's been in over the years. I don't think I've ever seen her as a wilting flower. When she's on screen, she's fucking on screen. Yes, it, it really is. Who's queen? <laughs> um, and actually, the whole... We were talking about the, the resting bitch face with her in the Queen of Sin costume. It was her looking down over the pretty much everybody and saying, go on, argue with me. I fucking dare you. <laughs> I will eat you for breakfast. <laughs> Whatever you say, bring it on. Diana Rigg can do it with a look, darling. We do with a look, just with a look. But we've just watched The Crimson Horror. And actually, she, she was really good in that, but she was about the only thing that was. Yeah, but she was wasted. Wait, I'm so miffed about this. Listening back to it. I, yeah, I, it is a terrible shame we will never have Diana Rigg in Doctor Who doing something decent. What we got is Diana Rigg desperately trying to save a unbelievably bad script we really didn't enjoy that because it was shit yeah but we've vaguely redeemed the the crimson horror by watching something that not only is diana rig superb in because she's superb in everything but it actually the rest of it is entertaining it was a it was a fun script it was well directed it was massively tongue-in-cheek i mean peter wingard's character was as camp as anything um colin jeevens was entertainingly cringy in the way that only really he can it, it's a lovely little episode which the crimson horror isn't But thankfully, the randomizer has thrown up something which is a little more interesting for the next New Who episode. School reunion. So we can look forward to that. The Mrs. and the X every man's nightmare. <laughs> yes, I'm already looking forward to that. And on that positive note, to balance out the entirely negative note of the podcast, we shall bid it's you... It's not entirely negative because we did Touch of Brimstone. Touch of Brimstone. 
But we shall bid you farewell, dear listener, and we shall be back very soon with the next episode. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rishton, Lancashire and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.